Those children are our heritage, and we hope that you're making the most of the story. And the way to do that is to... <coughs> Moses! How are you? Sorry. Uh, <coughs> Ever since God put that pillar in the sky, the secondhand smoke is killing my lungs. <coughs> are you the high priest of this tabernacle? The high priest of the... I suppose you could say that. All right. Yeah. Well, it's a nice tabernacle. Thank you. So I want to come this morning and make sure that you're telling the story correct. Like the, the big story? Yes, about, yes. You want to make Stop. sure I'm telling it correct? Yes. Well, of course I'm telling it correct. I'm the, high, I'm, I'm the pastor. Well, the pastor. don't be so sure. Last time I put a high priest in charge of telling the story, uh, he built a golden calf, and all the people went crazy for that thing. And I came down from the mountain. I was so upset. I broke the tablets and... God had to redo them with all the squiggly lines. He was not happy. Uh, I don't plan on doing that, the well, golden calf thing, no. Tell me what you're going to tell them about these. Okay, well, I'm going to tell everybody that, that last week we talked about how God delivered his people out of Egypt. And he brought to this week we're going to talk about how he, he brings them to the mountain where, where he met Moses the first time, and he gives them the law, the covenant, and, and, and the Ten Commandments. And if they'll follow those, and they'll really uh, embody those with their whole heart, they'll be God's nation of priests, and they'll get to represent God to the rest of the world. That's pretty good. Oh, thank you. Yes. Yeah. What? Tell me something. Yes. Have the people started to complain about the manna from heaven? Uh, not here, no. Oh. Well, I find that if they start complaining, it's better to make it into banana bread. It helps a little bit. <laughs> so that's it now? You're just leaving? Did you want me to stay? Uh, no. No, I don't. Oh. Okay. Well... But hold on a minute. Wait, I'm just, going just down. For, wait, wait. Just Whoa. for the sake of our safety and security team, where are you going? I'm going down to see the young disciples. The what? The young disciples. Disciples. D disciples, yes. Oh, I get it. You're going to make sure Spring's telling the story right, too, <laughs> huh? No, I'd rather listen to her than you. Uh. But before I go, I would like to do a blessing for your tribe. In your tabernacle. Baruch Katah Adonai Alohenu. Shalom. Shalom. Shalom, Moses. High priest. Yes. Thank you for joining us. Joshua, watch him. Thank you. Well, I tell you, that is what we're going to talk about today. Not that terrible accent, no. We are going to talk about the idea that God delivered his people and brought them to the mountain of God, that place where he had met Moses at the burning bush, to give them a command and a covenant, one by which if they would follow, they would have the opportunity to represent God to the world. Remember, God had promised that to Abraham hundreds of years before. He said, through your descendants, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world. So God has unfolded his plan of bringing people to him. And so that he could not be accused of favoritism, he chooses a nation of slaves to make his own. And through these people, he delivers them and is going to represent himself to the world. 
But I want to talk first today about the, the identity of these new people. As you have seen, this is called New Commands, New Covenant, but when you really get down to it, these people, these Hebrew people, the Israelite people, they are a blank slate. They, ha they are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they have come out of slavery in Egypt. They don't have a codified religion. They don't have codified laws. They certainly don't have a culture that's their own. And sometimes people will ask me, why does God get so specific in those first five books of the Bible, which are known as the law to the Hebrew or the Israelite people? Why, why, are they no, why is God so specific? Well, he's giving them an entire culture, an entire set of laws, and they are germane, in many cases, to 1400 B.C., uh, these going to set them up in the world and give them a new identity, which is going to be across their entire culture, the ways they worship God, the ways that they interact, and that's why there's so much there. But let's take a look at that identity this morning and what God begins to do. Turn in your Bibles if you have them, and it'll be up on the screen if you don't, to chapter 19 of Exodus. We're back in Exodus this morning as the story unfolds. Chapter 19 of Exodus, verse 1, tells us a little bit about what God's going to do with these folks. It says, on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, now I'll stop there as you're turning, because on that very day is most likely the day of Pentecost, which is one of the three major festivals of the Jewish people. That's why on the, second, on the third day, or the first day of the third month, they make a big deal out of that. They came to the desert of Sinai. And after they'd set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully, and you keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession." Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Now stay right there in your Bibles for just a second. And I just want, to, want you to notice something. God says, I carried you out of Egypt on eagles' wings. And he says, I brought you to myself. Isn't that an interesting way of putting things? Remember way back in chapter 1 of the story, we made a big point out of saying that God created human beings to be with us. God created us to be in relationship with us. And if you missed that sermon and you didn't get to hear all the points that were made about it, you can go back and catch it on vlchurch.com. But God created us to be with us. And here he tells his people, I brought you out of Egypt. I set you free in order to bring you to myself. And he says, my goal for you is to make you a nation, a kingdom of priests. Now, what do priests do? Priests either represent God to the world or represent the people to God, depending on, uh, on what you're thinking about at that particular moment. He's saying to them, I'm going to keep that promise I made to Abraham. I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations. And I am going to be, the, you are going to be the people through whom I bring salvation to the world. But you're going to need to keep my covenant. You're going to need to keep my commands. That's incredibly important. No one's going to look and say there is a God in Israel if Israel looks the same as everybody else. If Israel acts the same as everybody else. If, if Israel uh, succumbs to the brokenness of the world in the same way that the rest of the world does. So he says, if you obey and if you keep my commands. 
God wants to remind them that this has been the problem since the beginning. People have not wanted to do things God's way. They've wanted to do things their own way. And because they've wanted to do things their own way, they've gotten further and further from God's ideal for the world. Israel is going to be given God's mind, God's thoughts, God's intentions for the world. And they're going to need to obey and keep those commands so that they can be that kingdom of priests that they're supposed to be. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to do a little bit of, uh, of explanation here for what we have, because what you see here in the book of Exodus is, is some, a little bit of confusing material, and I want to try to explain it to you this morning. Now, the Israelites have what they call the law. The Jewish people have the law, first five books of the Bible, the Torah, okay? We're reading primarily in Exodus today, where it talks about the Ten Commandments and the Book of the Covenant, okay? Now, you all have a concept of the Ten Commandments. Moses was sort of holding them. That was legit Hebrew that you were reading uh, that, that had the Ten Commandments on them this morning. That is sort of, if you will, the bullet points of God's thoughts, the Ten Commandments are the bullet points of the law, of what God's going to require of people. Then what also comes with Moses from this mountain is what's called the Book of the Covenant. And that is the instruction that's given to the Israelite people in the Book of Exodus. The Book of the Covenant, if you will, is sort of like the outline of the law. All right, So you've got the bullet points with the Ten Commandments. The Book of the Covenant is sort of the outline of the law. And then if you were to read the rest of Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you get the whole law. You get the whole thing. Because there's a lot more that's sort of codified and made, made known to the Israelites. And it's really broken up into sort of four different aspects. And we're going to talk about those this morning for just a minute. Because if, if I don't help get us to a place where we can read this stuff with some type of clarity, I haven't done much for you. Now, it's sort of broken into these four aspects of their identity, and the first is the sacrificial system. The sacrificial system was the system by which people could draw near to God. Remember in that story of Adam and Eve, we talked about how God made the first sacrifice on behalf of Adam and Eve, that, that blood was spilt from a creature that was good in order to cover over the guilt and sin of God's crown jewel of creation, human beings. That system that was, placed in, that was put in place in, in the Garden of Eden uh, continues even until today. We, we talked about the blood of Jesus covering our sins. Blood is the most precious substance on earth, more, more precious than gold, silver, or diamonds. Human sin is what has made this earth fallen and broken and sad in many, many places. And the only thing that can cover human sin is, is that preciousness of blood. So God puts in place the sacrificial system. It's a system by which people admit to God, God, we recognize that we haven't done things your way. And we're going to sacrifice something precious to us to recognize to you that we know that we're broken. We know that we're sinners. We know that we don't have our act together. And I could go into the, the different types of sacrifices. I have read the book of Leviticus. Thank you very much. Read the whole thing. Uh, for those of you who want to read through Leviticus this week, uh, go ahead and do that. God bless you. Uh, drink some coffee on the way through it. Uh, but, but we could get into all of the sacrificial system, but, but uh, needless to say, it, it, it's a way that people can recognize before God that they're not holy, that they're not righteous, that, they're, that their sins do need to be covered over. The second thing we see in the law are laws about morality. How do we interact with God and how do we interact with one another? What, what's the right way to be? What, what's the appropriate way to not 
dive into the brokenness of this world, but treat people the way they should be treated, to, to really have a culture that, that looks right. And not only that, but to honor God well, to do a good job of recognizing that he's sort of a big deal, and we should honor him the best way that we can. They also have purity laws or, 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 or cultural laws, laws that make them look distinctly Jewish. Now, those laws aren't incumbent upon us today. Uh, you, you may be a, a Jewish person in this building, but we learn through the New Testament that we don't all have to act or look like we're Jewish in 1400 B.C. But remember, God was establishing a cultural identity for them at that moment. He, he wanted them to look different. He wanted them to act different, wear different things, eat different things, celebrate different festivals, look different than the rest of the world so that they would be distinct. And then finally, uh, we'll see penalties and restitution and recompense and what to do when people do sin, how, how to make it right when they do, what are you going to do when people inevitably do do the wrong thing. So there was never this expectation that the Israelite people would be perfect. I just want to throw that out there because there's laws for what to do when people do wrong. All right? So if, if somebody ever tells you that the Israelite people as God's people were never going to sin again or weren't supposed to, why are all these laws here for what happens when people do? The, the concept is bigger than that. The concept is that they would be different. That somehow... They would be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, set apart and be different. But the big question is how? How are they going to do this? Adam and Eve, they were sinners. We don't know about Abel, but we can assume, but we know Cain, sinner. Noah, sinner. Noah's sons, sinners. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, sinners. Jacob's sons, there were some big sinners in that group. Nobody's perfect. Nobody has been able since the Garden of Eden to be able to, to fulfill God's law perfectly, to obey God fully. How are they going to look different? Even if they, even if they do err at times, even if they do mess up at times, how is it going to be that they are different than the rest of the world? Well, we get a hint, we get a clue in chapter 20, verse 20. Moses has just brought the Ten Commandments down from the mountain. And God has shown up on the mountain of God, not in a burning bush this time, but in, in smoke and in lightning and in a powerful display. Now you say, why did he do that? Why, why isn't he walking with the people in the cool of the day like the Garden of Eden? Why, why is he not in a burning bush? Well, could you imagine two million people standing in front of a burning bush going, that's God? That doesn't look too powerful. Looks weird. Looks cool. But for Moses, when he was in front of the burning bush, that's like, whoa, that bush isn't burning. But God comes down in a powerful display to say that I am the, the one who's brought you out of Egypt. I am powerful. And look for what reason. Verse 20, 20. Moses said to the people, listen, folks, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of this great big demonstration of God's power here on this mountain. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you and to keep you from sinning. See, Moses was letting the people know that the presence of God on that mountain was an important aspect of this moment where they're going to be given these laws and this covenant. They needed to see God was powerful in some way. They needed a visual representation for a moment of God's power. 
And the way that God descended on that mountain, once again, not in the form of created beings, but just in a powerful display, lets these people know, whoa, that wasn't just Moses' magic tricks that brought us out of Egypt. Moses just wasn't doing sleight of hand to set us free. There is a God, and he is real. And this covenant that we're going to make with him to be his people, this is serious. And because we've had an encounter of his presence, that's going to keep us from sinning. It's going to keep us from participating in that brokenness. You might have also read this portion of the story this week, and you find out that God also gives them ways to build him a tabernacle, a place where God would dwell and be with them. See, this is an important aspect of what God's trying to do among his people. He's going to be present with them to remind them that they are his people and that they need to do the things that God has called them to do. So the question is, will they be part of God's plan to be his people? Well, I'm going to tell you, they opt in. Look at chapter 24, verse 7 and following. The people opt in to this covenant and the book of the covenant, and the Ten Commandments. So remember, they opt in to the bullet points, and they opt in to the outline of the law. Look at 24, 7 and following. So Moses took the book of the covenant, and he read it to all the people of Israel. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. So Moses took the blood, and he sprinkled it on the people, and he said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. For those of you who have studied the Bible, this becomes known as the Mosaic Covenant, the covenant of Moses, the covenant by which the people of Israel say we will follow God to the best of our ability and represent God to the world. They hear the law and they opt into it. They hear about the covenant they make a sacrifice, they let the blood cover them to say, we don't belong or, or we can't say that we are on par with God, we recognize we're broken, we recognize we're sinners, but we're going to serve God anyway. They opt in. The Israelite people opt in to being God's people who will represent him to the world. They want to follow God's laws and decrees for about 30 days trial period. If you read the story, you find out Moses, our Moses, alluded to it this morning. He said, the last time I left the high priest in charge, they made an idol and went crazy. Well, Moses goes on the, up on the mountain to get further instruction. We mentioned that we have the, the, the Ten Commandments, which is the bullet points. We have the Book of the Covenant, which is the outline. And then we have the rest of the law, which is the whole deal. Moses goes up to get more law. He goes up to get more instruction. For 40 days, he's up on the mountain, and the people decide, oh, Moses is gone. We're in deep trouble. They look at Aaron. They said, you know, make us an idol. Did anybody read the first two commandments? I mean, they violate the very basis for the law. Don't worship anything other than God, and don't make yourself a graven image. Now, why was that important? Let's remember what we talked about last week. God has revealed his name to Moses. Do you remember what it was? I am. I am existence itself. I am the reason you're all here. I, I'm it. God doesn't take a name that equates him with anything in creation other than the fact that there is creation. He's created it. I am that I am, he gives this name, Yahweh, or what we know in English as Jehovah. That's the name that God gives Moses to tell the Israelite people. Why in the world would the I am, the, the, the creator of the universe, allow himself to be represented by a cow? 
That's what the people make. Hey, Aaron, make us a cow. We'll bow down to it. Why? Because that's what the nations around them did. They had idols. They had things that they bowed down to. And the more precious the metal in the idol, the, the, the cooler the idol, I suppose. But they go ahead and bow down to this idol. And then it says they, they, got, they got down into revelry. Now you can assume what that might mean. But, but as, as Moses put it, they went crazy. Moses comes down from the mountain and he recognizes what has just happened. He smashes the tablets. He's furious. But once again, we are confronted with this theme. Are you seeing it? I mean, we're only in the second book of the Bible. And there is this theme of no matter what God does to bring human beings to his side, what do humans do? We mess up. We mess it up. We, we, we can't seem to get it right. He has delivered these people out of Egypt. They walked through the Red Sea. They have been brought to Mount Sinai, and God has displayed his power in, in, in thunder and lightning and smoke. He, he has made it clear that, that, that there is not just some natural phenomenon guiding them. They opt into his covenant, and within 40 days, they violate the first two commands. This theme continues. It continues even today. You can be somebody who has met God, somebody who has decided to serve God, somebody who wants to serve God with your whole heart. You want to be God's people. But the very things that you resolve to do don't always turn out right, do they? We don't always display the power to do things the right way. Just when we say we're going to control our temper, we fly off the handle. Just when we say we're going to do things the right way by our neighbors and start caring about them a little more. We double down on our own stuff. Even in churches, we see all the time, and it hits the newspaper, that people who are supposed to represent God many times fail miserably, don't they? Why is this? Well, because human beings are fallen. And we can know the mind of God, and we can know the heart of God, and we can know everything that God, you can know, you can know, you can know. But that doesn't mean that you're going to do the right. That was not the video, that was outside. You can know, and you can know, and you can know. But it makes no difference. Years ago, a Harvard professor had a young lady who decided to drop his class. He taught ethics. And he said that the young lady stopped in, and she just inquired as to how the class was progressing and what was going on, and the ethics professor said that he was thrilled with the class and almost everybody was getting an A. She says, that's interesting. She says, I happen to clean the dorm for a lot of the men on this campus, and the ways that they talk to me and the ways that they treat me are anything but ethical. She says, it's amazing to me that they can sit here and they can opine and they can talk about all the ways to be because they know them, but they don't do them. And she said that harassment's gotten so bad I can't be here anymore. See, we can know the right, but many times we don't do the right. And it gets us back to this question of how. Because as much as we've seen brokenness and as much as we've seen sin and as much as we ourselves recognize our own need for grace, we recognize that, boy, as much as we want to do it right, we do it wrong so often. 
how can we get closer to the ideal? What can we do to, 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 to make sure that we're not just wasting away in this life, uh, pursuing our own ends? What can we do to make sure that, that, that we can get closer to being the people that God created us to be? Because we're not so different from the Israelites. The same blood runs in our veins. This fallen human thing is going on. In the same way that they needed God's presence then, we need God's presence today. Moses recognizes in chapter 33 that they're in trouble. He recognizes that coming down from this mountain, even though he's got God to forgive them and God is going to move forward with them, that they are in trouble Moses has no illusions about the fact that he might not be the person who can lead them perfectly, and they are certainly not the nation that can act perfectly. So what are we going to do, God? Look at chapter 33 in your Bibles, verse 12. We get the answer of the how. Same answer as before. Moses said to the Lord, this is verse 12 of chapter 33, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. But if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so that I may continue to find favor with you. And remember that this nation is your people. Moses said, I'm going to need to know more, God. Look at God's response in verse 14. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you. Moses said, teach me to know more. God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And this, is, this just shows Moses' elasticity. We're glad Moses is a pretty wise dude because he gets what God's saying to him. Look at verse 15. Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with us, don't even send us out of here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else can distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. And then Moses said, Show me your glory. God goes ahead and does that. He passes in front of Moses, reminding Moses that he is the Lord, the I am existence itself, but he, he is also steadfast in his love and patient, slow to anger, one who wants to bless the nations. God lets Moses know, this is who I am, but just as important is that I will go with you. I'll be with you. It's not going to be your perfection that distinguishes you. It's going to be the presence of God in your life that distinguishes you. That's the difference. Moses recognizes that somebody's going to sin tomorrow. Someone's going to mess up again. But if God is with us, there's hope. There's hope for a brighter tomorrow. There's hope for holiness. There's hope for right behavior. There's hope for growth. There's hope for change. There's hope that people will recognize that God loves them and cares for them and wants a good future for them. 
Isn't it interesting that as we get towards the close of the book of Exodus and you've got the, the Ten Commandments and the Book of the Covenant and all this information on how to do things God's way, it boils down to the presence of God as being necessary. He created us to be with us. And his presence is what is going to distinguish our lives from the lives of those who do not yet know him. That is our identity just as much as it was their identity. You're not going to become perfect tomorrow. We sure hope that you're in fear of the Lord and that healthy respect of God. We sure hope that you're trying to be more holy, to be more right, to, to change, to be a different person. But you are up a creek without a paddle if you're trying to do that in your own strength. You won't be able to. But God's presence in your life does have the power to change you. God's presence in your life does have the power to make a difference. God's presence in your life does have the ability to, for you to receive favor in spite of yourself. God's presence in your life gives you the opportunity to do the things that God puts you on this earth to do. There's lots of people who sit in churches and their, their, their reason for being is, I just want to become a better person. That's why I attend church. I, 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 I attend church and I hear how to be a more moral, ethical, right person. And you know what? I think there's a, there's a nobility in that. I think that's a nice thing. But the Bible is very clear and it starts right here in Exodus without the presence of God in on and through your life, you're going to miss all that God has for you. God wants to be present. He wants your spirit to connect with his spirit. He wants your internal person to connect with his person. He created you to be with you in the future of your life and the goodness and mercy that you want to flow behind, in front, and from your life is dependent upon the presence of God being there. It's dependent upon it. This is not a morality club. What do you mean this? The, the church itself, it's not a morality club. We hope that we can be moral. We hope that we can be ethical. We hope that we can be righteous. And we are supposed to hold each other to a higher standard as God's priesthood, as his holy nation, as we're called in 1 Peter chapter 2. Us Gentiles are called that in the New Testament. We are given this moniker as well. We can't be a morality club, folks. We're not going to be perfect. But God can transform us. He does have the power to change us. But you have to open your heart to his presence and his power. See, how do I do that, Pastor Matt? We have this amazing thing called prayer where you talk to God as if he's there. We have this amazing thing called a spirit. Something going on inside of us that we know is not flesh, we know is 
not our body, we know is something going on in here. We have this amazing thing called our spirit that was designed to connect to God's spirit. And for many of us, it just starts with saying, God, I'm open to listening to your voice. I'm open to hearing from you. And the things you bring across my mind's eye, I'm going to trust her from you. And if I have a question about it, I'll go talk to a brother or sister in faith and say, hey, uh, this is what I felt like the Lord's saying to me. Is that kooky? But we've got to open our hearts to him, folks. If we want to be this nation of priests, this people that impacts the world, a church that makes a difference, we can't do it by being a morality club. If the Israelites couldn't do it, we can't do it. But we can see God change us. We can see God make us more righteous and holy than we were yesterday. And God can use us powerfully if his presence is with us, if we'll open our hearts and our spirits to him. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? At the end of each one of our services here at Victory Life Church, we just end with a time of prayer. Because I don't expect my words to change anybody. But God's presence and his words can. Maybe what he's given me to say will point us in the right direction, but the most important time we spend together is the next few moments. And I'd like you to do a self-assessment today, but maybe a God assessment. In just a moment as we pray to ask the Lord a question, Lord, is my heart open to your presence? Do I invite you into my life and my day and my being regularly? Or am I just walking each day in my own strength, my own power, my own understanding? The writer of Proverbs said in chapter 3, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your paths. Is your life acknowledging him right now? Or is the greatest sign of your relationship to God church attendance? If it is, I encourage you today to open your heart to him. Invite him in. Ask him to change you as opposed to relying on your own strength and your own power. Ask him to make you the person that he designed you to be.